Well, good morning, everyone. Let me uh, officially welcome you here to Restoration Church. If this is your first time visiting with us in this online forum or format, we're uh, very thankful to have you. If you have been a, a long-standing uh, partner or just somebody that's been with the Restoration Church family for any amount of time, we're, we're equally glad to have you today. Uh, I hope you have thus far been encouraged in your spirit in this time of musical worship we had. Uh, we'll get into what I want to discuss here in a moment today. We're going to continue on with this sort of series that I've been doing on trying to understand the nature and the role of suffering in the world. But uh, before we do that, if you are visiting with us, I want to explain what this little median ground space is in between our musical worship and the time that we spend um, talking about the things of God in His Word. And this is a place where we highlight significant things that are going on in the life of our church, our church family, and uh, even the world. And we have actually a host of all of those things that I'd like to take just a couple of minutes to speak to you about. And so the first and perhaps most obvious thing for us is just that we'd like to ask you to continue uh, to pray for the leaders of our church as we continue to navigate how to uh, safely and effectively resume f gathering together physically like we have done for the better part of the last uh, 10 years. Every church has found itself in a set of unique circumstances and how they deal with this. Uh, some that have owned space have begun to open slowly, others have not. There's really no right or wrong in this right now, but I just would ask you all especially to pray for us uh, because we meet in a movie theater and as it stands, movie theaters are not permitted to uh, to open. So that creates a little bit of an additional challenge for us. So we meet each week to discuss these matters. Uh, we talk about them frequently uh, with each other throughout the week. And I just want you to know that our church is alive, well, and healthy. Uh, we just are really looking to see how we can move back into at least what we what we remember as normal. I'm sure things will be different even when we gather again, as so many folks are finding out now as we you know attempt to return to uh, some form of pre-corona normal. So in the meantime, though, I hope you stay connected here um, through this time of teaching, through community groups throughout the week, and even just hanging out with other people um, in the church family. There are lots of ways to physically stay connected besides the one hour we spend together on Sunday morning. And I pray that this would be a time that catalyzes that reality uh, in your mind and in your heart. So continue to pray for us. We will keep you posted through this forum, on the website and Facebook as things change. The second thing I want to mention to you, and uh, some of you probably know this, but if you don't know this, you really do need to know this. Um, today is the day of Pentecost, and it's interesting. Everybody always looks to Easter, right? Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We know about that day. It's, a, uh, it's perhaps one of the most profound days in the Christian faith, much like, like Christmas. These are days that we call holy, where we remember significant events that birthed the faith that we know today. But uh, the Holy Spirit, who is often, I like to say, the neglected, uh, the third member of the Trinity, the neglected member of the Trinity, uh, today is the day of Pentecost. And this is the day when Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came down to us, at least in the way that we understand him now, like fully present in the world. And this is significant for a host of reasons, the relational benefit of what it means to always be in the presence of Jesus because of his Holy Spirit is absolutely an amazing blessing and gift that God has given us. And so I, I leave you with this word of encouragement here that if uh, you have never contemplated the role of the Holy Spirit or read scripture about 
the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. Jesus literally tells us that until his return, his Holy Spirit is working out all things in the world right now. And so we are truly, whether you're aware or not, utterly reliant on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we are thankful uh, that we get to celebrate this day and the fact that the Holy Spirit is with us in all matters of life. And that actually leads me to the last thing I want to mention to you before we jump into our teaching today. You know, the Holy Spirit is uh, God's great agent of, of, I like to say, installation. He is uh, the, per the person in the Holy Trinity that is uh, bringing about God's truth in the world. The scripture teaches us that he points men and women to the person of Jesus. Uh, he encourages our souls and convicts our spirits when we stray from God. He, he truly is a lifeline to, uh, to the kingdom of heaven. And he is also responsible for bringing about justice and peace and prosperity in our world. And right now, our world uh, seems to really be uh, in an increasing state of turmoil. Every person who has walked this earth, every year past, and I'm sure in, in the future, there's always turmoil and trial that exists in the world. But these past few months have been exceptional as far as this year goes. First, with the physical ailments uh, caused by the coronavirus. That's a substantial challenge that, this, uh, that has been presented to the world physically and financially, uh, vocationally. Uh, so, many, so many problems developed out of that, that it really did create a, a level of physical suffering that is just uh, traumatic. And then this past week, with the tragic death of, of George Floyd, what we've seen is a uh, in many ways, just this release of pent-up anger because of the injustice of what has happened um, to this man. And so I find it somewhat ironic that on a day when we should be celebrating the justice and the peace and the goodness and the grace and the righteousness of what the Holy Spirit brought to the world, the power of God, we sort of sit in a world right now that, that seems to be without it. And so what I want to do right now is to remind us that uh, and we'll take a quick moment here to pray that there is a lot of chaos in our culture today. And this is a time where we as God's people, we need to be praying uh, for those who are ill right now. We need to be serving those who are ill. Our church are ill. Our church is much more than a compilation of people that get together for an hour on Sunday. We are truly the light and life of Jesus wherever we go throughout the course of our week. And one of the ways that God brings his truth and his grace and his peace and his righteousness and his justice to the world is through us. And so what we want to do is light up the areas of the world that are steeped in darkness with the truth of Jesus wherever we go. And because of the significant amount of trauma going on in our world right now, both physically because of the uh, coronavirus and, uh, and again, the tragic death of George Floyd this week, what I want to do is take a moment just to, um, to really pray for us and our world before we jump into our teaching. And I would encourage you to continue on in this vein uh, throughout the week and really for the rest of your days on this earth. We want to pray that the, the light of Jesus grows in ever-increasing ways, especially in the areas of the world where it is most dark. So if you would, take a moment and, and pray with me. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, come to you now and we, we come to you as our God. You are a good God, a gracious God, a God of righteousness, a God of truth, a God of grace, you are a God who hears our prayers when we are standing on the mountaintop, the victories of life, and, and you know the depths and the pains in our hearts when we are afflicted with trial or suffering. 
And Father, right now there is, uh, there is no shortage of trial and suffering in our world, due in large part to the pandemic, and now what we've seen over these past weeks in Minneapolis, just the, the restlessness of our culture as we, we try to sort out uh, the, the tragic death of, of George Floyd. And so, Father, what we pray for now is first and foremost, we do pray that your justice and your righteousness and, and your truth and your grace would flood the hearts of every man and woman on this planet. We pray, Lord, that the, the, the pieces and particles of the kingdom of God, the, the sort of incomplete justice we sense on this earth, we pray, Father, that you would, in ever-increasing ways, bring, bring the full justice of God to this world. We pray, Lord, honestly, I pray for your return. I pray for the day when Jesus returns and sets every wrong right and ultimately, once and for all, God, puts the concept, the idea, the, the problem of sin that has affected us in so many ways, from, from the physical to the spiritual, God, I long for and await the day when your Son returns and mends all wrongs. But until that day, God, we live in a very imperfect and broken world, and so I pray that we would never forget in this in-between era as we dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit and look forward to your second coming, that the, the main way, not the only way, but one of the main ways, God, you have chosen to mend the hurts of this world is through the faithfulness of your people to the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so I do pray, Lord, that in whatever ways you present us, big or small, that's often the way we see them, but any opportunity we have to bring truth and grace to the parts of the world where, where that lacks, Father, I pray that we would seize that opportunity, that we would be shoulders to cry on, that we would have words of comfort, Father, for those who are distressed, and that if we are the people that are distressed and uncomfortable, that we would recognize there are places, there are people who love your Son, God, that want to encourage and care for you during this time. And so we do pray, Father, in the same way that the prophet Amos prayed, that your justice and your righteousness, Father, would flow across this earth like, like the waters of a raging river. We ask, God, in ever-increasing ways that you would bring that reality about, continue to light up the world that we live in where it is dark. And, Father, I pray we would never forget the substantial and significant role you have charged your people, the people of God, with um, to be agents of truth and change in the places of service you provide us opportunity to do so. And so we thank you, God, that we can, we can come to you during any area of life. You know, you know the hurts of our hearts before we even voice them to you. And I am thankful, Father, that you are a God whom we can bring anything to at any time. And I pray, Lord, now that what we have prayed, you would bring into full force, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, again, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to, to continue to pray that way as we uh, continue on with all these matters that are going on in our, uh, in our world right now. And it seems rather apropos that we, we continue on, at least for a couple more weeks, there are two more teachings I want to share with you, about this idea of suffering, because there does seem to be an awful lot of it uh, in the spotlight right now. In, in the past weeks, what we have done is looked at two different texts in Philippians and the Gospel of John that give us some key insights into understanding uh, what suffering is and isn't, uh, some of the causes behind suffering. One of the things we were very clear to point out, and we'll do so again today, is to be mindful, to not 
cast blame on God for every injustice and evil in this world. Uh, there's an awful lot that has been said over this past month, and for obvious reasons, I cannot revisit all those teachings today, but I would encourage you, if you've not heard them, and this is a, is, is a, a topic, and it really is a topic that has significant application in our lives, I pray that you would just take some time um, to listen to those teachings, because what we're going to do this week and next week is we're going to take the culmination of all those things we have studied, and we're going to try to answer two questions, one today and one next week. Uh, and these questions are, are perhaps the most significant questions that are often raised when this this matter of suffering is, is brought to us. I'm not saying they're the only questions, but I am saying if you were to look at the top ten, these two are going to be at the top. The first one we'll discuss here in a minute is suffering in the world evidence against God's existence. And then next week, I'd like to take what we've talked about today in a very practical way, um, talk about when we suffer, um, why is it that, not all, but why is it that some people's first impulse is to, is to walk away from the God of comfort and mercy. And so each one of these questions requires its own, its own time so that I don't crowd or incompletely address these matters. And so the, the first question we're going to begin talking about today is, is suffering in the world evidence against God's existence? And a lot of people say this. This is a common battle cry. Uh, the more common way this question is often addressed or asked usually goes something like this. If, you know, if God is a good God, then why is there even suffering in the world? The answer to this question is, is a pretty straightforward one. We theologically unpacked it over the past weeks, but I want to sort of just hit the nail on the head right now with this idea. The existence of suffering in the world is not evidence against the reality of the God of Scripture, of the Christian God. Um, and that's what I hope to talk to you about today. And so there's lots of great resources and tools out there. I'll reference a few this morning, but in his book, The Reason for God... Tim Keller, who is now a retired pastor, a Presbyterian pastor, who oversees an incredible amount of ministry still to this day, he quotes a philosopher named J.I. Mackey. And this philosopher wrote in his book this statement about this question we're looking at today. Is suffering in the world evidence against God's existence? Here's what he said. He said, if a good and powerful God exists, like the one we claim to love in Christianity, if a good and powerful God exists, he would not allow evil or suffering in the world. But because there is so much unjustifiable, pointless evil in the world, the traditional good and powerful God could not exist. Some other God or no God may exist, but not the traditional God. And that's a pretty interesting uh, statement. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very powerful statement. Um, but there's some problems with it, and this is what I want to talk to you about today. The main problem with this way of thinking is hidden in this word pointless. The whole premise of this idea that because we see tragedies in our world, that automatically means a powerful God does not exist who, uh, who just lets these things happen. That's why this is what he's trying to say. Uh, that isn't a powerful God if he permits this stuff or, or causes it. And the whole, the whole problem with this statement really revolves around this idea of pointless. It's built on an assumption, 
And this is something we've done every week. We've sort of taken the unhealthy assumptions that people automatically, no pun intended, assume when suffering is around them, and we've tried to deconstruct them. With the disciples, we looked at how they automatically wanted to know with the blind man in John 9, what this guy did to offend God that, that caused his suffering. Like, what did God do to him? Or what did this man's parents do that God was so angry that he afflicted him with blindness? And, and Jesus tells them that it was not this man's sin that caused uh, suffering here. It was actually, this is all happening now so that the goodness of God could be revealed to the world. And so each week we've addressed the faulty assumption. And if we want to get good answers to some of these questions, not perfect answers, but good, uh, good answers, good responses, then we have to first start with the assumption in these statements. And the assumption here is that if you and I can't personally see the point of something, then there just isn't a point. In this case, if you and I can't see the point of the evil in this world, of what, what could come out of it, then what's happening is, is there just is no point. In other words, we, we have sort of elevated the human condition of logic, reason, and ration, which are incredibly important things, but in, in a very true sense, we sort of make those truths the God through now which we see the world. And while this sounds rational and good in theory, it isn't always the case. It actually does require a big leap of faith and trust in humanity, which grants people a limitless amount of authority to judge whether or not something is pointless or not. And so the philosopher, right, or the everyday person who uses suffering as a reason to deny that God is real or his existence is, is prevalent in this world needs to consider a couple of facts. And these are a couple of facts that are actually prevalent throughout the whole of humanity. They just need to be applied to faith. We need to consider the fact that our minds might not always be adequately suited to sort every death, mystery, suffering, or trial in the universe. I mean, even in science, we know, uh, which again, we're fans of here at Restoration, science is the constant pursuit of, of, of scientific truth. They're, they're constantly creating hypotheses to see what is true and, and what is not. And so implied in human nature is the fact that we do not know every single nook and cranny of every single matter of life and every moment of life. And a statement like I just read to you implies that, that we do, that in a very trite way we can just look around and say, you know what, because there's bad things in the world, God, there just isn't a God. This is a big problem because we really need to ask ourselves how we're determining whether or not there are good or bad things going on in the world, and just because, uh, or that there is a, a point to them anyways. There might actually be some reasons that we don't personally see in the moment, or maybe even ever, when we are going through something, or when we look at things going on in the world, like the tragedy I just mentioned, and, and the physical illness going around our world, there, there is a time where we might not fully understand in the moment, and maybe not even ever, the, the point of it, but that does not necessarily mean that there is not a point, that the world is sort of randomly spinning out of control and we're just holding on for dear life, hoping it works out for us. And let me explain this another way. There's a philosopher, a pretty famous one, named Alvin Plantinga, and he is a, a professor of philosophy at the University of Notre Dame, and he uses a, a rather interesting and applicable analogy to point out the problem in this way of thinking, this quote that we just referenced, if a, if a good and powerful God exists, then, then all this pointless evil in the world has to be pointless because there's no way this kind of stuff and a God like that could coexist. He gives this illustration about camping. 
And he says, you know, if, if you were to go camping, and many of us do that here in Florida, we don't necessarily do it now because it's almost summertime and it's getting hot, but camping is a, is a popular sort of recreational sport here in Florida. And when you go camping, if you were to look into your tent, he says, and, and look in there and say, I'm, I'm looking for a St. Bernard, which is a massive, massive dog. It's like the size of a cow, basically. If you were to look into your tent and say, I, I do not see a St. Bernard in my tent. What we would say is that it's pretty reasonable to assume that there is not a St. Bernard in your tent. The obvious reason being the dog is huge. You, you cannot miss the, the, the presence of its existence. And if you were to open a 10 by 10 tent and find a five foot long dog that's two or three feet high, you would immediately see it. So what he says is it's completely reasonable to say, there's not, a, there's not a St. Bernard in your tent. However, if you were to look into your tent, and this is going to be particularly true for us Floridians, if you were to look into your tent and say, well, there's, there are, if you were looking for a noceum, which if you don't know what a noceum is, it's an extremely small insect that are called noceums because they're nearly impossible to see. Their, their bite is disproportionate to, to its size. When This is the second time I've lived in Florida. But the first time I lived in Florida, the first experience I had with noceums wasn't even an experience. I didn't even know what happened. I was just out one evening wearing shorts, and when I had come home, it literally looked like my legs were attacked by a thousand mosquitoes, and that's what I thought that had happened. But that's not what happened. I, I was thoroughly introduced to this little bug called the noceum, whom you barely see or can feel, but when it bites you, it leaves this insatiable sort of itch. It's like a mosquito bite times... Ten. And because they're so small, they, they bite with sort of ferociousness and in abundance. And so if you were to say, to look into your tent and say, I don't see a noceum in that tent, because they are so small, what we would say is it's also reasonable to, to, to not assume that there, there isn't one in there. Because after all, no one can see a noceum. You can immediately see a St. Bernard. But the chances of you automatically knowing whether or not this minute, almost invisible insect is in your tent is pretty much impossible. And the idea behind this thought is that many people assume, this is the, the simplicity of the human mind, which we've talked about earlier. The idea behind his thought is that many people assume if there was a reason for suffering in the world, or even in our own lives, it just should immediately and obviously be easy to see. Suffering should be like a St. Bernard, not a noceum. We should just know the who, what, when, where, and why immediately. We should just be able to, to deconstruct the mystery. And that is one of the assumptions that we've been looking at here each week, is that we are oftentimes as people uncomfortable with the shadows of life, meaning when there are things going on in the world that we don't fully understand, it's, it's sort of natural. We're intuitive people. We want the darkness lit up. We want the uncomfortable areas of life defined. We want the mystery uh, to, be enough, to be known. We pretty much want immediate answers to what is going on and immediate solutions. And the most complex problems in life seldom give us immediate answers and hardly ever have immediate solutions. The real question is why would we even assume that? Why would we assume that suffering should be like a St. Bernard? Well, the truth is there, there are, uh, may very well be reasons that we do not clearly see uh, for the reasons for our suffering and why we endure it. And if you have any life experience, you know this to be true, that any type of suffering is always revealed on the back end of it when we are 
over the bridge of suffering, and maybe we have the ability in, in retrospect to look back on things, we can often see and understand those situations more clearly than we could in the moment. A lot of times we have a greater hope or maybe a greater peace, not necessarily with what happened, but a greater peace in understanding why something happened the way that it did. If you have spent any amount of time on earth, then you have gone through trial or suffering. And the purpose of suffering, we just need to lay out, almost always will be more like a noceum than, than a St. Bernard, using Planica's analogy. And there are a couple of other things we can say about this. Scripture teaches us, when we, especially when we talk about cause and effect, Scripture teaches us that sometimes suffering is like a St. Bernard. We just want to ignore the fact that it's there. Sometimes suffering is like a noceum. We don't fully get it. But sometimes there is a big dog in our tent, and as humans we just don't want to admit it. And what I mean by this is sometimes uh, suffering is a direct result of our own faulty choices. That is one of the ways that suffering can be brought about in the world. And please don't misunderstand me here. I've said this in some shape, way, form, or fashion each week, and will continue to do so because I want to make sure there, there is uber clarity with what I am and am not saying here. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I know that a lot of people, in our words, they suffer innocently. Like, like in a natural disaster, right? If you look at even last, last year, Hurricane Dorian, like, uh, what that did to the Bahamas was, was tragic. There, there was no person that caused that on the island of the Bahamas. There, that's a natural disaster. And sometimes things like that happen. So we should not minimize that a lot of times suffering is like that. There is no correlation like we saw in John 9. There was no person who did something to bring that about. That's what Jesus tells us in that passage in John chapter 9. However, we also need to, we need to be grown up enough to recognize that sometimes our choices as humans can create consequences. And we live in a real world where people can make real choices. And some of those choices create the real possibility of, of suffering. They, they lead to it. And this is where we need to recognize that sometimes suffering is like an oceum. Uh, excuse me, sometimes suffering is like a St. Bernard. Let me give you some examples of this. Uh, so if you were to talk to your physician, they'll tell you that if you drink too much over the course of your life, what will happen is you will likely develop liver issues at the end of your life. There is a direct cause and effect there. Uh, smoking, we know now through science, that can actually kill you and shortens your life and, and can create you know, really, really problematic diseases. It can cause lung cancer, direct cause and effect. Look at the world around us. Uh, negligence, right, in, in, in construction. The reason we have building codes in our world is because our society has deemed that structures need to be built to a certain specification so that they are safe for people to live in. And when you see, you know, the tragic collapse of a building or something that was not built properly and it falls and consequently there is death and injury because of it, that's a great example of somebody's inadequate care of that project created a situation that caused suffering in somebody's lives. I mean, you can read the news every day. I would encourage you not to do so because the news is also disproportionately reported with the good and the bad that goes on in our world. But people's lives are snuffed out every, every day. Murder happens every day. That's a direct cause and effect. 
Drunken drivers, like we said in N.T. Wright's quote, sometimes they hit cars full of people, and innocent people that were just driving on the interstate, they are now subjected to the consequences of that. Cheating and lying and stealing and selfishness, all of these things are in our world. This is part of what it means to live in a broken world. And every one of those actions can cause suffering in our culture, specific suffering amongst, amongst people. So there is the noceum side of of suffering, where maybe we're not sure what's going on, the John chapter 9 kind of suffering. But then there's this place where we also need to make sure that we as people, we need to be the types of people that are not living our lives in ways that, that we're creating suffering around us. In other words, we're, we're trying to be the light and life of Jesus. We're creating peace and justice and righteousness in the circles of influence we have in life. That's this kind of St. Bernard we want to reveal to the world. So when it comes to a great deal of suffering, we've just got to be careful to not automatically blame God for our choices. And this is why I said earlier, we, we have to sort of be grown up enough to recognize that if, if we have treated somebody poorly for decades, or somebody has treated us poorly for decades, there is going to be a strain on that relationship. And oftentimes what happens is, is we refuse to own that. And in refusing to own that, we will continue to see that relationship uh, you know, be sort of steeped in disunity and strife. Or, I'm going to mention this today, but totally teach on it next week, uh, sometimes what happens is people will, will they, there's a St. Bernard in their life, and they just decide the, re, the way to respond is to act as if there is no God. They, they just scapegoat God, like we said last week, and they walk away from Him. And that's really not the best plan if you are a follower of Christ. We'll discuss that next week. Or they, they walk away from him because in this particular instance, and this I find very fascinating, uh, in, in this particular instance of suffering, they demand that God violate a freedom of choice and intervene to stop suffering. There's kind of an inconsistency here where, where when, when we are sort of dealing with suffering, you can even see this in the early days of, of, of the book of Job, where Job sort of wants this stuff to go away. The Apostle Paul is, is praying for God to take away this thorn in his side, this form of suffering. There, there are people, I'm speaking to Christian people now, pleading with God to, to remove this suffering. In other words, to take away the stuff that's causing it. And what's interesting about this is in moments like that, we, we demand God violate our freedom of choice to and, and intervene to stop suffering. But then in a somewhat ironic way, when it comes to other areas of life, say in our spirituality or our morality, we tell him he has no business violating our freedom to make our own choices by telling us objectively what is right and wrong according to God's ways. And what I simply mean by this is that uh, sometimes we want God to, to kick the door down in an area of life that we are uncomfortable with. But then when he wants to address other doors in our lives, we're very un uncomfortable with that. So what happens is, is we begin to pick and choose the places that we want God to intervene in our lives. And you can't have your cake and eat it too here. This is why we believe the proclamation of Jesus being our Lord is one of the most important statements we can make. It means that we put our whole life before Jesus and we let him speak into all of it, the good and the bad. We can't demand that he removes suffering in one area of our life and then just sort of live our lives as if he doesn't exist. There is a disunity in that, one that is bound to create a type of faith that is a, a form of godliness, not an actual creation of godliness. And so to summarize, some suffering is entirely caused by poor choices with real consequences. And in the middle of that suffering, we might wonder why things couldn't be different or what the point is. But the fact is that we don't always fully understand why suffering is happening, why it is permitted, 
We don't even know sometimes the things God is stopping. We don't fully understand the point of it while enduring it. Just because we don't fully understand the point of it in that moment doesn't mean that there actually isn't a reason. And that's why I raised the idea of life experience. So the hardest things we went through in the yesteryears have shaped us to be the men and women God wants us to be in the present scenarios we live in now. They were character-forming events. I'm not saying they were pleasant. I'm not saying this in a trite way that we should ask for them. But I am saying they can be redeemed by God and used for good. And I, I want to share another sort of analogy with you. It's an old folktale that explains this reality very well. It's, a, it's, it's almost like a bedtime story. So just sort of listen along with me and uh, don't fall asleep, please. I know you're probably drinking coffee in your pajamas right now. But try to stay awake as I read you this bedtime story. Once upon a time, in a country far away, there was a farmer. And this farmer had many friends and neighbors in the village near his home. Well, one day it happened that the farmer went out to feed his horses. But when he got to the pasture, he discovered that his prized stallion had run off. Well, all the farmer's friends gathered around and expressed their sorrow. That's a bad thing, the farmer's friend said to him. But the farmer only replied, maybe. So it happened that the next day the farmer's horse returned and brought two other wild horses. The farmer's neighbors again gathered around him and at this time they expressed their joy. They said, that's a really good thing to the farmer. But the farmer only replied, maybe. And so it happened a day later the farmer's son went out to try to break the new horses and was thrown hard upon the ground and broke his leg. And once again the neighbors came and said, that's a really bad thing. But the farmer replied, maybe. And so it happened that as the farmer's son lay in bed with his broken leg, a band of soldiers came, conscripting young men to fight in the king's latest war. And when the soldiers came upon the father's son, and so he had a broken leg, they did not take him. And so again, all the neighbors rushed to the farmer and said, that's a really good thing. But the farmer replied, maybe. And so it happened that when the farmer's son had healed, his, from his broken leg, the boy went out to celebrate, got drunk, arrested, and thrown into prison. And all the neighbors rushed in to tell their sadness and told the farmer, that's a bad thing. This is what they said to him. But the farmer only replied, maybe. Now, what, what is the point of that story? Well, you know, in a couple of paragraphs, it sort of spans a, a long season of a couple of people's lives. What is the point of that story? The point is that we don't always see the point of the purpose of everything that is, that is happening in our life at the moment. And this is uh, not just a folk tale. There are tons of examples in Scripture and in our personal lives that show this reality, that when we are zeroed out and can see the full picture, we realize that there was a noceum for a good reason. The biblical story of Joseph is another great example of this. It's the story of a young man who was a favorite of his father and hated by his brothers because of it. It's, it's a tragic story where you have a really great human being who is cared for by his father. And, and his brothers are so jealous of that relationship that they develop this, this anger to the point where they don't even want him alive anymore. And so one day they beat him up and they throw him into a well. And when that's not enough for them, they sell him into a life of slavery to Egypt. And Joseph experienced, because of the consequences, the unjust consequences of his brothers, he experiences years of imprisonment, hardship and injustice. And through these terrible and unjust circumstances, I'm not saying he deserved them. It's the, it's the John 9 thing. He did nothing to merit this. 
because of these circumstances, though, what we see in the story of Joseph is that his character is developed. It is refined, and his life over time is strengthened. Eventually, because of his imprisonment, through a series of other events, he ends up becoming the prime minister of Egypt, and he is put in a position of ultimate power from which he is able to save countless lives from starvation, including the lives of his own brothers and their families, the very people who hurt him. And that's, to me, the most fascinating part of this story. When his brothers who stand before him, as he has all the authority now, I mean, he could have snapped his fingers and had them removed from the earth. But what he does in that moment is, is it, it shows us why he was the favorite of his father. He shows these men mercy and grace, and he allows them to live. And I'm telling you that if God had not allowed these events, this is what the story teaches us. These events are happening for a reason. In this case, if he had not allowed all these events, I don't believe God wanted these brothers to sinfully throw the, his brother into a pit. You know, we know God doesn't want us to sin, and so that kind of behavior is, is a bit problematic to say God endorses it. If God had not allowed all of the events in his life to unfold, and he did not redeem them, then he would not have been brought to this place where he does what he does. And his suffering brings about the salvation of a nation. They live through one of the greatest famines in history. And Joseph arrives at this important conclusion about his situation, and he eventually confronts his brothers, and he tells him, tells them this. This is sort of the, the moral of the whole story. What you did, what they did, well, they meant it for evil. They truly meant evil and harm upon him. But God meant and used it for good and for saving many people. And that's one of the greatest stories we have of God taking taking what what seemed to be unjust circumstances, and in his grace, he can weave something beautiful out of that mess. So think about this. Regularly, I hear people say that some of the greatest blessings and most important lessons of their lives have been learned through, through tragedies and hardships and difficult seasons like the one our world is enduring right now. Hopefully, our world will be a better place after we you know, come through these two major trials our world is seeing. And people know that when you go through these things, they can often bring about something positive. I'm not saying they're good things or positive things, but they can bring about something good or something that is positive. We can often be glad in, in, a, uh, in, a, in a not so superficial way because we realize that the point of our suffering, the purpose for it, brought something beneficial out of it. And in that sense, we no longer see the noceum as something trite, or the, the St. Bernard is something trite. We are anchored in the hope of Jesus, knowing that, that God really can bring good out of very tragic circumstances. I'll share with you another quote. This one directly from Tim Keller, and he says this when describing this reality. With, with time and perspective, most of us can see good reasons for at least some of the tragedy and pain that occurs in life. Why couldn't it be possible that from God's vantage point, there are good reasons for all of them. And I want to point out that that is not a statement prescribing blame to God. It's a statement that actually says when we have the time and a little bit more perspective, we can actually see beneficial things come out of very tragic circumstances. It would be wonderful if in Minneapolis uh, we, we see that police department reassess its policies so that policing is better in the future. That's one way something good can come out of something terrible. 
Or maybe today in our world today, with the illness we've seen with this coronavirus, we'll take these things more seriously. We'll be able to avoid the tragic loss of, of human life like we've seen over these past months. Maybe our scientists and our politicians will take these matters more seriously to protect the good of the world and the people that live in it. The point in all of this is that we need a different starting assumption when life's trials come our way, no matter how they come our way. Life's trials need to be seen through the eternal perspective of God's eyes. And the challenge in this is that as people, we all tend to see life's situations very differently. And I'll sort of begin to wrap up here with a, a, a lighter story, if you will, of this example. A rather humorous story, I think. Uh, several years ago, I share, actually shared this with our church folks like five years ago, and I'm sure you all remember it exactly. Uh, this, is, this is a true story. My son and I, when he was still in single digits, his age and a lot smaller than he is now, now he's 14 and, and taller than me, we, for the first time, watched what was then the blockbuster film Avengers, the first one. You know, this was the beginning of like all the superhero hype and all the movies that followed from it and the billions of dollars generated from the popularity of that film. But he and I actually watched the first Avengers and it was a really great movie. We found it thoroughly entertaining. And what I loved so much about that movie is that it, uh, it climaxed with this battle scene. It ends in, in, in New York City, you know, the place where I was born. All these aliens invade the island of Manhattan, essentially. And, of course, what happens is they are destroying the city with the hopes of wiping out humanity in the face of the earth. And the Avengers, the premise of the film, come to defend the city. And at the end, I was totally hooked by this battle scene because, I mean, it was showing, like, the total destruction of Manhattan. Like, iconic buildings are being blown up and people were running from their lives. It was a really well-done scene showing all this mayhem. Some crazy stuff was happening. But my son, this is the funny part of this, at least for me, my son apparently didn't see any of that, like the destruction of, of icons that stand in the city. He showed absolutely no emotion until something very drastic happened. He, like, lost his cool. He popped a capillary when a very large alien stepped on a sabrette hot dog stand. And if you don't know what that is, uh, uh, it's a yellow and blue umbrella. It's a famous hot dog that is sold all throughout the street corners of New York. And when the hot dog stand was destroyed, my son like burst out with, with rage and, and emotion. He screamed out, ah. And what was funny to, to me about this is th these are called dirty water dogs. They're a cherished uh, uh, commodity in New York City. But I just thought that it was hilarious that the destruction of like these massive buildings that stood for 100 years, they didn't bother him at all. But when, at the time, he was obsessed with hot dogs, when the hot dogs were ruined, that's, that's what, what his tripping point was. That was his breaking point. And that is what evoked emotion in him. And it was hilarious. I mean, we left for quite some time after that because the hot dogs were more important than the total destruction of one of the world's largest and most profound cities. And this, I think, is humorous, but it's, it's also somewhat of a good example of of how we as people look at things, right? This is a, a humorous example, but it can be applied to very serious situations. It's somewhat of a perfect example of, of two people looking at one situation and drawing entirely different conclusions about what is happening in front of them. I'm watching the destruction of a city, and he is sort of oblivious to that at this moment in his life, worried about the hot dogs. And when it comes to suffering, there's something we can learn from this. We, we need to strive to embrace God's vantage point in our lives. We, we need to look beyond our circumstances and invite God into our circumstances so that we can dramatically see 
the difference in our circumstances, so that we can look upon the world with Christ-centered eyes and bring about change where it is necessary. Here's another example of this. Last week I mentioned Jesus on the cross. When we talk about suffering, this is the greatest example of, of suffering we have in the Bible. I'm sure if you were to ask the disciples the way that they would have chosen to redeem humanity, it would not have been to put their best friend and Lord on, on a cross. But that's what God did. And in the moment it looked pointless. There was a lot of despair in the land. Yet we know there was a great point in all of that. With time and perspective, what we learned, especially in a day like this, the day of Pentecost, Jesus' Jesus' apparently pointless suffering brings about a redemption and hope to the world. And it is through that suffering that God's grace is revealed. And that's why we have to be careful to not use suffering as an excuse to deny God, which is something we're going to talk about at length next week. Especially when God has proven time and time again that He can redeem the matters of our lives uh, to bring about good things through them. So, as we close this morning, I just want you to think on this and to pray on this this week. We as people usually want the, the, the mystery of suffering explained. I said before, we like the shadows of our life lit up. We usually prefer immediate answers. We want to know why things are happening. And, and we maybe even want an, a, a, a voice uh, in, or an audience to sort of voice our disagreement with, with the way things are happening. Sometimes in life, we do get those answers. Sometimes in life, we get the St. Bernard. But sometimes in life, we get the Nocean. And I want to encourage you that no matter which area of life you're dealing with right now, or if you're caring for somebody that is suffering, no matter what's happening in your life, God wants you to know that He is a good God. And that He does not desire that we look for joy and peace and hope and righteousness and things that are other than Him. What He desires is that we actually bring about those things in our world. First, because we've experienced them. And second, because we're committed to spreading them. And so, as we move towards a new week, my prayer for us all is that these teachings over these past weeks about, about suffering have probably not been easy to hear at times, especially if you are dealing with suffering. But it is my prayer that they have brought about, and will continue to bring about, a more meaningful understanding of, of why we suffer, and how God can truly bring beautiful things out of messy situations. So this morning, I ask you to ask yourself, when it comes to suffering, when you see the suffering in the world, or what you are enduring in your own life, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about that? And what is it that you will do about suffering in this world as he speaks to your heart? Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for, thank you for truth in your scripture and stories that show us, um, in one sense, they really highlight the brokenness of our world. But in another sense, they continue to show us that as, as broken and as flawed as people can be, you relentlessly pursue us with your grace and your truth. And so I pray that we would know that in our hearts, no matter where we find ourselves, we are not broken to the point where we are beyond redemption. God, the whole story of Jesus is him coming to the world to seek and save that which needed to be found, that which was, was lost. And, and even when he left the world, he left us with the presence of his Holy Spirit so that we would never in any moment of our lives be disconnected from the power and the authority, and the truth, and the grace, and the peace, and the hope of you, our God, who sits on his throne in heaven. And I pray, Lord, we would live in that hope, and that we would persevere through any trial that comes our way, not with some false arrogance, but with a humble confidence that you are God. And because you are God, you are with us. So it is our prayer today that we would experience and apply the peace and the hope that can often come out of difficult circumstances, and that we would be the light and life of your Son, where you provide us the opportunity to be just that. And it is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.
Now, I want to thank you for spending uh, your morning with us. Before you go, just a couple of quick things I want to mention. Uh, first and foremost, remember to continue to pray for the three things that I mentioned at the beginning of our, of our teaching. Uh, you know, us sorting out how to get back to life as normal meeting physically. Um, without doubt, the tragic and tragedies uh, that we're seeing due to the coronavirus and the situation with George Floyd in Minneapolis. We, we want to continue to bring these things before God. Uh, we have a responsibility as Christians uh, to, to do so. So remember the world in your prayers this week. I also want to thank you, especially if you're a, restora a restoration partner or just somebody that's been with us for any amount of time, for your continued faithfulness uh, to, to giving to support the mission and the ministry of our church. Although we're not physically meeting, we are meeting in community groups, and we have still had opportunities to serve uh, our community, both individually and on corporate levels. And so I thank you for your, your faithful tithes and your offerings. If you uh, would like to uh, create a gift for the church, there are two clear ways you can do that. One is through our website under the giving tab, or you can mail a gift or an offering into the church office address, both of which will be posted online in this thread and certainly can be found on our website. Remember, generosity, especially for those of you who are partners, uh, that is a responsibility we have to our church. If you're visiting with us, uh, we just ask that you do as the Lord leads. But I do encourage you, encourage you to remember that generosity cannot be bound by the walls of this church. So this is just one of the ways we show generosity. Be mindful of where your neighbor is and meet needs wherever you can in whatever way you can. I also want to say if you have questions about what we've discussed today, if you need to be prayed for, if you need to be cared for, if you disagree with something that was said or want to follow up with this stuff, please reach out to us. We are really faithful to get in touch with you and to help you take your next steps with Jesus, whatever they are, wherever they are. We exist to make disciples. And if there is a step that is before you that you have some questions about and how to become a more fully devoted disciple of Jesus, let our team know that. We want to help you become uh, the type of person who declares with a humble confidence that Jesus is Lord and lives in that way. And so, as you go this week, I want you to know, um, I've seen a great many of you face-to-face. -face. I've seen a great many of you uh, on Skype and Zoom calls. I am thankful that we are getting a little more normal. We're not fully there yet. But I encourage you to reach out to somebody in your community group, in your neighborhood, in your family. Let the love of Jesus be seen through you this week, especially at a time in our world where things are very difficult. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, which came down to us on this day of Pentecost, may they be with you all. Go in peace. Amen.